Dismiss our kids for workshop. Come on, you can cheer a little bit more. We like to make some noise for our children. Every week, God's doing a work in those young hearts. All right, I've asked Scotty and Tyler are going to come up and help me a little bit to get started. We're going to kick things off a little bit differently tonight. I've picked two school teachers because they're upstanding members of our community so that you can know our little exercise here is on the up and up. So Scotty's going to be participating. Tyler is here to judge to make sure that, you know, I've got nothing up my sleeves. You with me? All right. You're going to put this on for me, Scotty. There you go. Can you see anything? How many fingers am I holding up? Okay, good, 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 good. All right, so in just a second, Scotty's going to reach into this bowl. He's going to pull out a Skittle. I have no idea how many Skittles are in here. Tens of millions, it looks like to me. They smell delicious up here, too, I might add. Anybody here a Skittles fan like me? Late at night when everybody else has gone to bed, I wander to the pantry and if there is a God in heaven, when I open this door, there will be Skittles on the other side of that pantry, and he does not disappoint. There's one Skittle in here that earlier today, if you, if you know anything about Skittles, they have a white S on them that stands for Skittles. So I colored it in with a blue marker. So we're going to trust that Scotty is going to reach his hand into this bowl. He's going to pull out the one Skittle. You ready? He's good. I've seen him do this. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Scott, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you over right here, and here's your hand. So, Tyler, you're watching to make sure that nothing's going on, no fun. and you're just going to pull out one Skittle, okay? He asked me when I, earlier, if, when, he, when I asked him to do this, he said, I'll do it if you'll let me eat the Skittle that I pull out. I said, okay, that's a good deal. All right, reach in there and grab me a Skittle. All right, put that in my hand. Oh, I can't believe it. No, I'm just kidding. All right, you can take your blindfold off. It is not the, wait, wait, come on, I got a gift card here. I got a $5 gift card for Starbucks for my participant, my, my judge. Thank you, Tyler. All right, come on, give it up for them. There she is. We decided we were going to turn these loose in the youth section and let them eat those during the service. How about that? There we go. You're on your own. You're on your own. I'm sorry. There's a snack bar out of the front. No, I'm just kidding. Think, you know, we started, our church started, a little side note here. We started in a movie theater, right, And uh, when, we, when we first planted. And, and they would show movies right at the end of our service and other, other theaters. So the snack bar was open. And I'll never forget that somebody who was visiting the church, halfway through the sermon, they got up, you know. They walked out. I kid you not, they came back in with this huge plate of nachos, for the whole rest of the sermon. And you know what I thought to myself? He finally had the courage to do what everybody else has been wanting to do for years. So I know they're looking for, the, there's, the Skittle is orange. It's orange with the little blue S on it. So if they find that. So. All right, so why are we doing the thing with the Skittles tonight? Out of all the prophecies in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled every one of them. Every one. And I'm not a mathematician, so I can't tell you what the statistical probability would be for that person to find the right Skittle on the first touch, on the first reach. But there is a scientist by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner, who wrote the book Science Speaks, who calculated the statistical probability of someone fulfilling every biblical prophecy of the Messiah. The first one, if, 
if he had just filled, if Jesus had only just fulfilled eight, which, you know, he fulfilled all, but just eight, it would be the equivalent of one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you're like me, you're not a math major, you have no idea what that number is, so Dr. Peter Stoner, he helps us understand what that means. If you were to cover the state of Texas in silver dollars, you with me? Two feet deep, mark one of them, blindfold Scotty and turn him loose onto the state of Texas, and he reaches down, he finds the one silver dollar in all of Texas that has the mark on it. That's the statistical probability of one in 10 to the 17th power. If he had just done eight, come on, it would have been a miracle. But Jesus didn't just do eight. He did all of them. 48 prophecies is one in 10 to the 157th power. So let's give you a frame of reference for that. Let's replace the silver dollars with electrons. Now, how big is an electron? Just one inch of them, just one inch, counting 250 a minute night and day would take you 19 million years. They're tiny. You fill those with the state of Texas, two feet deep, mark one of them, and the person walks in and picks up the one on the first try. That's the equivalence to the miracle of Jesus fulfilling every biblical prophecy, which he did to identify himself as the Messiah. Why does God do things like that? Because it's his way from heaven of highlighting moments in history that he wants us to see. It's his way of putting a spotlight on something. All right, no searching for the Skittles. Just eat them, okay? Come on. Pass them back. Yes, you can pass them around. God does the supernatural because he wants us to not miss moments in history that he's trying to highlight. And many of these prophecies about the life of Christ surround his birth. And the reason why God did so many miraculous prophetic signs to foretell the birth of Christ is because in the story of the narrative of the birth of Christ, we find principles that if we embrace them and we let them define us, our lives will have flow. So this series that we're on all summer called Rivers is about this idea of our lives having flow. And so each week we're spending some time with each one of these pathways. We're going to tackle two of them tonight. We're going to do generosity and stewardship because we find these at the center of the story of the birth of Christ. Of all the themes that God put have mixed into the narrative of the story of the birth of Christ, we see these two at the heart of it, which tells us because of the supernatural manner in which God prophetically told of the birth of Christ in which Jesus fulfilled, God is saying, pay attention. It's like when you're watching a scary movie, right? And somebody's going up the stairs and all of a sudden the music turns because the director is saying, pay attention. God in history turns up the music at moments because he wants us to pay attention to something that he's about ready to teach us. And at the heart of the story of the narrative of Christ, we looked at it a little bit in December in a series that we did, but there's more there. So we're coming back to it tonight as part of this series. Our lives need to have flow. Our words, our attitudes, our reactions, our choices, our example, life-giving to everyone around us, and the 12 pathways make it possible, rivers of living water out of us and into the world. 
Hey, I'll tell you too, what we just started on our website, the outlines for the sermons are all going to be posted because I know sometimes we cover a lot of ground on Saturday nights. And so, so people have been asking, how can I have it? So we're, we're posting those every week. So you can go onto our website under documents and you can download the outline. And it'll have all the verses and everything that we did, okay? So that's there for you. So you can spend some time with it during the week. So generosity and stewardship. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. This is going to be our the verses that we kind of unpack together tonight and find these principles that we're speaking to. Matthew 2, 1 and 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So let's jump over to verse 10. And when they saw the star... They were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, jump over to verse 13. After they were gone, referencing the wise men, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, this is one of the prophecies, one of the many, might be fulfilled. This is out of Hosea 11, chapter 1. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Father, as we launch into this message tonight, open up our hearts. Come on, we know that you from heaven, you've put a spotlight on this story, this part of history, because you want us to see something that's in here that's supposed to give our lives flow. And we know that you've called us to be a life-giving people. And may it be that tonight that more life, a bigger river, a greater current is going to flow out of us because of what you're going to impart into our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, here we go. Generosity and stewardship. Only as I become the magi who give generously... And that family who stewards wisely, will I be life-giving to everyone around me? Does your life have flow? We want to be a church that helps you not just understand what we think the Bible says about what we should believe, but we want to be a church that helps you know what you should do in light of those beliefs. The world is hungry for people who profess a faith in Christianity, who have a life that back up their confession who do not have a circumstance that denies their confession, but has a life that in its own way highlights and spotlights the profession of faith that they claim to have. And a huge part of this series is not just believing that you have the ability to be life-giving to the world around you, but we want to show you how you can do it. Come on, our lives need to have flow. And so the first one is this, our generosity gives life to the destiny of others. Now, generosity is a pathway. If you've been tracking with us as a church, you know that that has an impact into our own life. But what this series is about is how each pathway not only brings life to us, but brings life to the world around us. And 
there's no question that our generosity can be life-giving in many ways. And so we're going to hone in on one of those tonight because it's the one that we find in the story that every person in this world is born with a destiny to fulfill. And sometimes God asks us to be generous towards them so that other people can one day stand before God in heaven And they can hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant. That we can play a role in their story through the outflow of generosity of our lives. Matthew 2, 10 through 11, these are the verses that we just read. It says, when they saw the star, speaking of the wise men, it says they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him, and they opened their treasure chest. We're going to talk about this one in a minute. And they gave him. It doesn't say that they gave the gifts to Mary and Joseph. They gave the gifts to Christ. That's important to us. We're going to come back to that. They gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, those gifts are important. Everything that God does, he does with great intentionality. Every one of those gifts had meaning. Every one of those gifts were supposed to teach us something about Christ. But I believe that they were also supposed to teach us something about a lens that we should be seeing our world through. The gold spoke of his divinity, meaning that he was born in the line of King David. It means that Christ, even though he was born in humble circumstances, he was born into royalty when you trace his lineage all the way back. And gold was a gift for kings. Gold was a gift that what one nation would come and visit another nation. They would bring gifts of gold to say, we recognize your sovereignty. We recognize your right to rule. The gift of gold comes with a message and it comes with a message for us tonight that when we look into our world and we see people around us, we're supposed to see the divinity in them. Even if they've not yet made a vow of devotion to Jesus Christ, come on, we see that person for who they will one day become as a child of the king. In our daughter's bedroom, you've heard us share this before, in the townhouse that we moved into when we first moved here three years ago, Vanessa painted a mural on the wall, and at the heart of the mural, it said, Daughter of the King. Because we wanted our children to grow up realizing that there was a divinity about their lives, that there's a kingship, there's a royalty of all the ways that they could find a sense of identity in this life. We're raising our children to see themselves first and foremost as children of the King. No matter what their profession is, no matter what relationships they pursue, no matter what they do by way of ministry and children that they have and impacts that they have in the world, we want them to, in their heart of hearts, to say, I'm a child of God first and foremost. The challenge that we face is that when we look into the world, sometimes it's hard to see the divinity of a person because of the circumstances that they're in. Just a couple of weeks ago, there was a young fellow that was sitting up here Something was happening in the, you know, in the service that was deeply meaningful and he was doing shadow puppets with the theatrical lights, having the time of his life. I loved every minute of it. He could care less of what we were doing in here. He's making all kinds of shapes. Now you can look at that and you can be irritated by it or you can look at that and say one day he's not going to be sitting there making shadow puppets. One day he's going to be up here preaching the gospel. You can see people for who they are or you can see them for who we know God is calling them to become. 
have a divinity lens that you overlay on every person that you see. The person on the street that's holding the sign, the person that sits next to you at the office that irritates you, the boss that you don't like, the person who lives next to you that maybe has more than you, but you know they're lying and cheating and stealing to get it. You can be aggravated with them or you can see them through a lens of divinity that says one day they're going to bow their knee to Christ, come on, and they could change the world. Do you see your world through a lens of divinity? The second one, this gold of frankincense, this is a, 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 a sticky substance that's like a, a, an incense that's burned in, 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 in spiritual rituals. It was used in all kinds of pagan traditions. It was also used throughout Judaism, but it, it's an incense that gives us this beautiful smell. And it's always used in religious rituals, always, in ancient times. So the wise men, they open up their treasures, they pull out their gold, spoke of his divinity, they pull out the frankincense because it speaks of his divinity. They're saying you're one that is worthy to be worshipped. And it's a lens for us. Not that we should worship people. Not that other people are ever going to be divine. But in many ways, it's very similar to the first. It's to cause us to ask the question, no matter how mundane that person might seem, no matter how incapable they might appear, what could they do if they had divine power at work in their life? All the people that Samuel in the story if you know it, when he came to pick the next king of Israel and all of Jesse's sons were lined up, come on, the one that appeared to be the least deserving was the one that was chosen. And I'm telling you, it's not because he had hidden talent. It's because he knew how to lean in to the power of God and not do the work of life in his own strength, but to rely on the power of his creator. And as we look into people, we have an opportunity to invest in their destiny. Do you see them as a child of the king? Do you see them for who they are or do you see them for somebody who could work wonders in the world with the power of God stirring at work inside of them? I don't care how broken they are. I don't care how jaded they are. Come on, during pre-service prayer, Steve and Kim Walls, if you were in here, come on, that was some good prayer. If you're not here from 4.30 to 4.45, you're missing a church service for 15 minutes. And he was praying. We have a saying here at the church. We say, we want you to bring the hard cases. You know the people that you see and you think to yourself, I'm not going to bring them to church because, the, you know, they're just messy. No, you bring them here because we see them with the lens. We see them with a divinity lens. We see what the power of God, marriages that are broken that seem hopeless, relationships with children that are estranged that seem hopeless, situations of addiction that seem that despair is going to rule the day. I'm telling you there is divine power that can come alive in any situation and it can change it in an instant. When you look into the world, do you have a lens of divinity? A lens of myrrh, come on, spoke of his destiny. Because myrrh had really one purpose, for embalming the dead. If you're at the hospital and you've just had a baby, you want all kinds of gifts, but I'm telling you, you don't want people bringing you this one as a new mom. You, I, I mean, you're tracking with me here? 
there was a there was something stirring in these wise men that they knew that these were unusual gifts. They even knew this last gift had the potential to offend, but I'm telling you, they heard God and they were doing what they were told because you know what? They had a yes, dear relationship with him. So they break out the myrrh because we know that one day Jesus was gonna die for the sins of the world. It was his destiny. Every person in this room you have a destiny. And yes, part of your destiny is to die. It's to die to self and to let the life of God come alive inside of you. But you also have a purpose. You got stuff you're supposed to do. You got people you're supposed to reach. You, your life, I'm, not, I'm not, no matter what it looks like back here, there's a destiny waiting for you up here. You can say, well, you don't know about this. Come on, I don't need to know about this because your destiny is all about your promise. It's not about your past. Your destiny is born out of not what you've earned, not what you've done, not because you've made the grade, but because there is a promise in this book that was breathed by God that says you have a promise, and that promise is a destiny. And I'm telling you, as you look into this world, there should be something inside of us that says, I want to live a generous life because I want to give life to the destiny of the people around me at my own expense, at my own sacrifice. I want to be a life-giving person in the world. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2 says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. They are being tested by many troubles. They are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Why is this important to us? Because if we're not careful, we can slip into a mindset that said, I'd be more generous if I had more. Come on, you ever felt that? I've felt that before. God, if you gave me more, I would give more, but that's not how it works. I'm telling you, most generous person that's probably ever walked on the face of this earth is Mother Teresa, and she's probably the poorest person that's ever lived. You don't have to have a lot to be generous. It's not just about your money. It's about your time. It's about how you live your life. I'm telling you, when we're in the generosity line to get rated in heaven, if there's one of those, I don't know, I'm just making that up, and we get our number, I'm just telling you, mine's going to be 10 to the 157th power behind Mother Teresa, who's got a number one. She wasn't wealthy, she wasn't rich, but she lived a life of generosity. I'm telling you, there's destinies that have been turned loose in this universe because of the life that she lived. Come on, we, we're probably not ever going to be her, but we can move up the line a little bit tomorrow. We don't have to say to ourselves, if I only had more, God says, come on, just start with what you got. Just start giving to people around you. Live a generous life. Acts 20, 35, a great verse where Luke is quoting Jesus as saying it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I like how he says it's more blessed because he's not saying, he's not naive, God's not naive. He knows that there's a blessing to receive. Come on, we like to get stuff. It makes us feel good. But if you think that feels good, you should feel what it's like to give something to somebody else, especially when it's a gift that invests in their destiny. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. The essence of the meaning of the word blessed in the Greek, it means to be fully satisfied of God. We're the most satisfied 
when we're living sacrificially for him because we've got some lenses that are working in our lives that inspire us to invest and give life to the destinies of people around us. Philippians 4, 16 through 17, this is where Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. He says, hey, I encourage you to give because of the reward that would come to you. This is Paul acknowledging that there is a reward, there is a blessing, there is a feeling, there is a celebration that comes to us when, when, when we give, but that cannot be our ultimate motivation. That's one of the reasons why my stomach turns so often when you hear the prosperity message that's out there. There's elements of truth to it, but they motivate people to be generous because of what they get in turn, and it turns God into a slot machine. Come on, and I'm telling you, it makes God cry. It saddens his heart. That's not what the gospel's about. We give because we just love people. Come on. Even if there was no Philippians 4, 16, 17 promised back to us, come on, we would give all the more, all the still, because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Come on. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Do you guys hear music? Is it an ice cream truck? Oh, I know that it is. Could somebody go get me a nutty buddy? No, I'm just kidding. I'm telling you, it's an ice cream truck taunting us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Come on. Luke 12, but I'm telling you what, I am going to get a milkshake on the way home from church. And if I could add Hardee's, their peach milkshakes are quite tasty. All right, verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Come on. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? And he then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Come on. It's in your life flow. That's not in here. I'm inserting that. Verse 16. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Oh, come on. We don't want to cross over the threshold of eternity with a lot. I'm not talking about not living wisely. I'm not talking about living foolishly. I'm not talking about preparing for your future. We believe in all that. If you've been tracking with us, especially the series that we did in December, we talked about all of those things. I'm just saying, God says that there's an abundance that crosses the line that was supposed to be given out to give life to the destiny of people around us. We need to prepare. We need to save. We need to do all of the things that great men like Larry Burkett teach us about stewardship was where we're going in just a minute. But I'm just telling you that for many of us, the outflow of generosity in our lives, our barns need to be depleted a little bit because we're the person in the parable and God saying, come on, give it away to people and see destinies come alive. 
Luke 12, 2 through 3 says, The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. It's no accident that he started this sermon here and he ends up talking about greed because he knows that as many of us, we say to ourselves, well, people will never really know. I can appear to be generous. I can make it look like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but secretly, come on, I'm hoarding it for myself. You can keep it a secret in this life, but Jesus says to us one day, it will be a secret no more. He wants us to know that one day we will stand in heaven and give an account for our lives and God's not going to take us into a private room where no one else can hear it. He's going to shout it from the rooftops of heaven for all the universe to see. If you're in here tonight and you're thinking, I can hide, come on, there's no hiding from the gaze of a sovereign God. And I know that there's going to be a lot of things that are spoken of me on that day that are going to bring me shame. But I'm telling you this, I want those things to also be that even though there's a moment of shame that I can say, but God, come on, we made it right. Confessed it to you, confessed it to whoever I needed to confess it to, and I moved on from there. We're going to have stuff on our list, but may it be that there's not stuff on our list that we've hidden. May it be that when there's a proclamation of the misspoken words and the inappropriate thoughts that God could say, but, but come on, you made that right. You brought it to me. You shared it with a friend. You confessed it to, you tracking with me? The list could be long. It could begin with shame, but it can end with a great moment of celebration because we chose not to live as a hider. It's going to be known then, come on, make it known now and get free from it and step out into a life of generosity and put the destiny of other people, come on, in play. What is going to be shouted about us from the housetops? May it be that we became the magi, that our generosity gave life to destiny, that our lives had flow. Okay, come on, number two. Our stewardship gives life to the sacrifice of others. See, when you read a story in the Bible, we're supposed to identify with the characters that are there. And you don't just pick one because all the characters are there because by a measure, you relate to each one in a different way. There's times when you're supposed to be the one who's doing the giving, but you know what? There's also times when you're the one that's doing the receiving. And in that moment, the stewardship of the sacrifice through the generosity of someone else gives meaning, it gives life to the sacrifice so that their efforts not squandered away. Matthew 12, 13 through 15, I'm not going to read this to you, but it gives us the account of when Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, he was probably a toddler somewhere around three years old, that an angel came to them and said, I want you to flee to Egypt because Herod is going to kill the child. And this is a poor family of modest means. How do you think they were able to do all this journeying? I'll tell you how they were able to do all that journey because they had some treasures that they had been saving up from some wise men. God always makes a way for you to fulfill the destiny that he gives you to live. He always makes a way. And sometimes he makes a way through us. And when he makes a way, when someone else's sacrifice comes to us, 
We have a great responsibility that's entrusted to us to steward that gift well. Our team went to Peru just a month or so ago, and come on, we collected an offering, and we sent money to the missionaries there, Don and Christine Latta in Peru, because we believe in their destiny to the Peruvian people. And we want our generosity to give life to that destiny. And one of the reasons why we were confident to send that gift is because we know that they understand this, that they're not going to squander that money. They're going to put it to work. They're going to be good stewards. And by being good stewards, it gives life to our sacrifice. The grandmother, right, who sends the oldest grandson is going to be the first one to go away to college, right? The check for $30,000 to help invest in that first year's education. She doesn't want to get the letter back that he used that to be the entry fee for the Texas Hold'em tournament in Las Vegas. It does not give life to her sacrifice. We have a responsibility to take the gifts that are entrusted to us by other people to use them well. Mary and Joseph were stewards of those gifts. They held them and they used them and it was there when they needed it to fulfill a destiny. First Chronicles 29, 14, it says, but who am I and who are my people? This is David as they were about ready to begin the work of a building campaign. It says, who, who are my people that we could give anything to you, O God? Everything that we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's our POV. It's our point of view for life as stewards. It's the essence of the word stewardship is all that we have belongs to him. Nothing that I have belongs to me. Nothing, nothing, not my children, not my possessions. It all belongs to God. And to live as a steward, we live under the question to whom does fill in the blank belong? And oh God, what would you have me do with this? And I'm telling you, when you apply stewardship to your generosity, it makes it a lot easier to give it away because you're giving away somebody else's money. It's all his. And when he stirs our heart, come on, we need to do with the gift what he would have us do. Sometimes we're the magi, sometimes we are that family. But regardless, we must never forget that the gifts always ultimately belong to Christ. We said we were going to come back to this. It's interesting, isn't it? It says when they opened up their treasures, they gave their gifts to Jesus. But he was a child. So his parents took on the responsibility of stewarding those gifts. Everything that comes to you, you're that family. A gift that comes either by divine providence or a person that you know. We need to posture ourselves like Mary and Joseph and say, come on, it might be in my possession, but it belongs to the king. It's for him. 1 Samuel 20, 13 through 15. This is Jonathan and David having a beautiful conversation. It says, but if he is angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so that you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Jonathan was the earthly heir to the kingdom of Israel, but he knew that it was going to pass to David because God's hand was on him. And Jonathan, listen to me, was willing to give up his right to rule 
to invest in the destiny of another. It was his right. It was his earthly right. But unlike his father Saul, he knew that his throne was never his. It was always his. And when it was time to give it away, he gave it away freely because he was a person who understood stewardship. He was a person that understood destiny and he gave the gift that would eventually become the moment that launches Israel into its golden age. And David, as he receives this gift, he understands that it's a gift from his friend that Jonathan ultimately died to give him and he stewarded it well. He gave life to the sacrifice. One of my favorite all-time movies, come on, Saving Private Ryan. Anybody seen this? I cannot wait till my boys, sometimes I tell my boys, oh, I just can't wait till you're old enough to watch some of these movies with me. Come on. This is the 60th anniversary commentary edition. Oh, if you don't, it's good. I'm not giving this away just so you know. I'm preaching on generosity, but this is mine. I was watching the scene this afternoon. Captain Miller, Tom Hanks, has been mortally wounded, pulls himself up. He's leaning against a wall. There's a tank coming towards him, and he pulls out his 45, and he's just sending down range a few rounds. He's not giving up, even though he knows it's useless. Come on, and then he pulls that trigger that one time, right? And the tank blows up, and all of us in the movie theater for the first time, we're like, come on. Then a plane flies over that had dropped a bomb onto that plane, and the reinforcements come, and the day is saved. And young Private Ryan, who they were sent to rescue, comes and kneels next to Captain Miller. He can barely talk, and he gets in close to his mouth, and he's struggling to get out the words, and he says, earn this. Earn it. And then he dies. Oh, come on. Then the film cuts to Private Ryan Decades later, he's an elderly man. He's returned to the cemetery where Captain Miller's laid to rest. And he turns to his wife and he says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Oh, come on. All the sacrifices that have come to you and all the sacrifices that are going to come to you still to set you forward into your destiny. Don't squander them. Earn it and live well and give life to the meaning of the gifts that have been given to you. Luke 12, 2 through 3, we're coming back to it again. The worship team can come. This is the time is coming when everything that is covered up, come on, I want you to hear it twice tonight, will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. And whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. I don't know about you, but I want some things heard about me. I want some things heard about this church, that City Life Church and the people that called that church their home. They gave life to the destiny of others because they lived generously. And that they gave life 
to the sacrifice of every generous gift that came to them because they stewarded those gifts well. Stand with me as we prepare our hearts for this closing song. As we sing the song together, I've got something I want you to think about. You can put that slide back up there for me, please. Let's talk about the greatest moment of generosity in the history of the world, which presents to us the greatest moment of stewardship we will ever have, the opportunity to undertake. See, if all the gifts are going to come to you, the greatest gift that you're going to ever receive is a gift that's already been given to you. It's the gift of the life of Jesus Christ. It's the life that he laid down 2,000 years ago on a cross for you and I. Because he gave us a gift in that moment that no one would ever be able to give us. He said himself, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? He gave us a gift on that day that only he could give. The gift of paying a price for the sins of the world. It's the most generous moment in the history of the world. And so I'm just asking you tonight, what kind of steward have you been of his sacrifice? What kind of steward, what kind of caretaker have you been for the greatest gift that's ever been given to you? Every Saturday this summer, we're ending this service the same way. We're singing a song together because we know that there are people in this room that have never taken a step to say, I want to live my life for Jesus Christ. And maybe for some of you here tonight, you're thinking about this greatest moment of generosity that's been given to you, and you've been squandering that gift because you've been living your life your own way. You've always been the person on the gravel road walking up ahead by yourself, but there's a yes master moment that he wants you to discover. Come on, and you can discover it tonight. So as we sing this song, I'm just inviting you. If you're here tonight, and you can't look back into some moment in time and you can say, it was on that day that I stood up before the world and said, Jesus, I believe that you made a gift for me and I'm going to live for you. If you have never taken that kind of stand during this song, come stand up here by yourself, but never alone because God's waiting for you. Take that stand for him. Let's worship together.
Because you've left services like this time and time again, frustrated with yourself. You get down on yourself because you didn't have the courage to come. Come on, you can change that tonight. You move your feet. You come stand with me here. I know it takes courage. I know it's not easy to do it in front of the room. God, we say let it be that you would have your way with us. That even though this moment has come and gone for some that we know that are in this room that are supposed to be up here tonight, come on. We see them with the lens of divinity. 
We see them with the lens of divinity. And we see them with the lens of destiny that we know that in your grace and in your mercy that there's a, there a moment that you're going to bring for them. And we say, let it be that tonight that something was deposited in them that in a moment that's going to come in their tomorrow that they're going to be able to run after you with all that they are. They're going to steward the greatest gift that's ever been given to them, the gift of the life of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we say, let it be that these young people that are going away to camp, that come on, that something of you is going to be deposited in them, callings, oh God, stirred up in their hearts, visions for their tomorrow, that they're going to meet with you and they're going to come back and it's not just going to be some emotional high, but you're going to take them to a place, Father, that they're just going to move forward from there, but not regress. And for all of us, oh God, that you would skittle us in some way this week. You would do something otherworldly so that we would always know that you are here. In Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.